Chapter Fifteen of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Fifteen. Dora Blake asks a question. Miss Blake drove into Highclere and stopped just outside that quaint old town at a handsome red brick house with a lawn and a shrubbery in front of it. This was the house of Sir Nathaniel Ritherdon, a gentleman of good old family who had married the only daughter and heiress of a wealthy Blackford manufacturer, and had fortified his position by an alliance which his relations affected to despise. He was an elderly man, pompous but kindly, and very popular in the district. He had been one of Walter Blake's most intimate friends, and it seemed a natural thing for Dora to come to him in her trouble. For the first time in her life she asked for the master of the house instead of the mistress. "'I want to see Sir Nathaniel on a matter of business,' she said. "'I shall be glad to see Lady Ritherdon afterwards.' She was ushered at once into Sir Nathaniel's library, a room as portly, rubicund and pompous as its owner. Tall mahogany bookcases, filled with formidable folios and fat octavos in crimson Russia, crimson Morocco armchairs, red and green turkey carpet, crimson velvet curtains, crimson velvet mantelpiece, bronze clock ticking loud enough for a county jail, ruddy fire in shining steel grate. Sir Nathaniel's dispatch-box, big enough for a prime minister, opened before him. Sir Nathaniel's presentation silver inkstand at his side. Sir Nathaniel himself indulging in a surreptitious nap. He started up at the entrance of Miss Blake, and looked about him for a moment or two with a scared glance, like a guilty creature. <clears throat> oh, my dear Miss Blake, this is a pleasant surprise. I was so deeply absorbed in uh, in local cases that your name came upon me with um, like a reminiscence of bygone days. <laughs> oh, sit down nearer the fire, pray now. Oh, my dear Sir Nathaniel, forgive me for saying so, but your room is like a tropical house. I'd rather sit as far from the fire as I can. Do you really find the room warm? I was absolutely feeling chilly. Oh, but at my age the blood circulates feebly. Have you seen Lady Ritherdon? If not, let me send for her. She will be delighted at this visit. I am going to see her presently, but I want first to have a little quiet talk with you. Oh, if I can be of service to you in any way. I believe you can, and to the cause of humanity. I hear that you have started a memorial to the Home Secretary in favour of Humphrey Vargas. Well, really now, Miss Blake, I like to be conscientious, even in small matters. And to speak by the card, I must tell you that it was not I who set this memorial on foot, though my signature heads the list. It was Sir Everard Courtney's idea. He was urgent about the matter on the night after the trial, stayed behind when my other guests had gone, on purpose to talk to me about it. He takes a very merciful view of the case, bearing in mind such extenuating circumstances as the man's age, his self-surrender, and so forth. Very good of him, isn't it? And yet Sir Everard has been thought rather a hard man. 
self-contained, wrapped up in his own sorrows and his own immediate interests. Yes, it is good in him, Miss Blake said slowly, looking down at the crimson hearthrug with a thoughtful face. And I know that you are good, Sir Nathaniel, so I have come to plead the cause of a poor woman who was with me today, Vargas's daughter. Oh, the woman who has come over from America? interrogated Sir Nathaniel. Yes. She's been with me this afternoon. An extraordinary woman, a little queer in her head, I'm afraid. She vehemently protests her father's innocence of the murder, and seems to believe it herself. Oh, then you know all I can tell you. It is on that poor woman's account I'm here. I promised her that I would sign the memorial, and that I would do all in my power to promote its success. But my influence is so little. Now, if you would take the matter in hand, Sir Nathaniel, success would be certain. Miss Blake knew that the High Sheriff delighted in having something to be fussy about, some philanthropic or political excuse for making prosy speeches and writing still prosier letters. "'My dear lady,' he responded with a gratified air, "'for your sake I would adopt even a worse cause.' The woman impressed me as a lunatic, but if you have taken her under your wing, she shall have the shelter of mine, and whatever I can do to secure a favourable answer to the memorial shall be done. We're not over-fond of hanging nowadays, thank heaven. We accept capital punishment as a terrible necessity, but we are very glad to slip out of inflicting it when we can find a reasonable excuse for mercy." There was a silence of a minute or so, while Sir Nathaniel shut his dispatch-box, with the air of having done a hard day's work, and threw himself back in his red morocco chair, the hue of which exactly matched the port-winy tints in his own complexion. He saw that his visitor was deep in thought, and solaced himself with a pinch of snuff out of his massive gold box, while he politely awaited her next observation. "'I think you were out hunting the day my brother was killed,' she said at last. Sir Nathaniel was a little startled by the abruptness of the remark. "'Yes, poor fellow, I was with him. We rode together for some time.' "'Did he seem in his usual spirits?' "'Well, well, no, Miss Blake. That is a curious circumstance, which my memory dwelt on afterwards.' Poor Blake was not in his accustomed good spirits. You know what a jolly fellow he was, what a glorious fellow. Of course you do. Nobody can know it better. Well, on that fatal day he seemed depressed, absent, out of sorts. He rode wild, too, and didn't seem to care where he went. Superstitious people have a notion that a man about to die a sudden or violent death has a presentiment of his fate, even in the heyday of health and strength. And my recollection of poor Blake's manner on that day would go far to justify the notion. You do not know of his having had a dispute of any kind, a quarrel even, with anyone who was out on that day? A quarrel? Blake? the best natured of men, a man whom everybody liked. Why, my dear Miss Blake, what could put such an idea into your head? Oh, one can never be sure. 
a man may be kind and open-hearted and yet may make enemies sir everard courtney said at the trial that my brother was in his usual spirits do you know if those two were riding together much during the day sir nathaniel looked thoughtful he was called upon to remember the details of a day's sport twenty years old true that the day had been fatal to one of his friends and that events otherwise insignificant had been made remarkable by the tragic sequel of the sport hmm, well now you force me to carry back my memory to that particular occasion it occurs to me that blake and sir everard did not ride side by side once during the day's work there was a good deal of waiting about and it struck me i remember that sir everard and your brother were not quite so friendly as usual they seemed to avoid each other as if they didn't care about meeting mind you the thing may have been only my imagination but it certainly did occur to me at the time good god could that have been in the council's mind when he put such curious questions to sir everard could he know anything mr blake announced the butler at this moment he had opened the door with well-bred noiselessness half a minute before he made this announcement and morton blake had heard the latter part of sir nathaniel's speech End of chapter fifteen